Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java Junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or ten minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career triple shot K-Cup with my guest, Dominic Vogel. So let us get into it, Dominic, in terms of what you do for your small business clients. You focus, I believe, on serving financial service companies and law firms. So the smaller ones, is that correct? That is correct. And why do you focus on these industries in particular? I'll preface that by saying those ones that we try to focus on, but we do a lot of work with the manufacturing sector smaller municipalities and towns. Uh, we do a lot of work with other organizations as well. But the reason why we primarily still focus on smaller financial service organizations and law firms is that they tend to be at a higher level of awareness in terms of why they need to invest in cybersecurity. So we don't have to go through the same gauntlet of the, oh, why should I bother investing in cybersecurity type banter. They're already at a state of somewhat enlightenment where they know it's a problem. They know they need to invest in it but they don't have the internal resources or leadership in order to fulfill it. And that's where we come in. We bring our team of virtual security leaders and we develop cybersecurity programs for these organizations from the ground up. And like, so we fulfill that internal leadership function for our clients. And by internal leadership, do you mean like a CIO, a chief information officer, or what would that be? What would the title so that, be? Yeah, so it would be a chief information security officer. Got it. And that's actually our a role- on cybersecurity. Yes. And that's actually a role that you held in corporate. Yes. Yes, uh, yes I did. You know, and, and all the people that are on our team, they are all security leaders in their own respective fields. You know, we have cybersecurity leaders who come from the retail space, from e-commerce, from healthcare, from multiple diff- different industries. And so it's important that, and how we shape the company, that our people first and foremost are, are leaders. And that's where often we, we find where the gap is when it comes to cybersecurity. Organizations that think cybersecurity is an IT issue and try to solve the problem by just having their IT guys install a bunch of programs or hardware, that doesn't solve the risk function, right? It needs to be taken on from a leadership perspective, but it needs to be seen through a risk lens. Is that the right oversight governance from the executives? It's not simply a matter of just saying, oh, our IT guy deals with cybersecurity. That's a very dated mindset. Mm. Well, speaking of people, 
I found this next point that I read super surprising about vulnerabilities when it comes to cyber breaches. And that's the fact that it's usually the people who work at your company who are the biggest risk. Why is that? And how do you defend or shore up your defense against this vulnerability, Dominic? When we're looking at what's referred to, I guess, from an insider perspective, data breaches or security incidents can happen on sort of two different levels. There's someone who is a what's referred to as a malicious insider. So that's where they're actively stealing data from their company and trying, they're selling it on the underground market or they're selling it to China or what have you. For the most part, that's fairly small percentage for organizations. And that's generally more common in organizations that have very valuable intellectual property. So not to dismiss it, but for most organizations, that's not really an issue. Where the biggest issue is, is what's referred to as an accidental insider. And so those are people who have a very low level of awareness when it comes to actually how dangerous you know, the, the online world is. Right? These are people who will, no matter what email you send them, they'll click the attachment, they'll click the link. And by doing so, if it's a malicious link, they could now have accidentally exposed the entire network to ransomware, as an example. Or they may not think about sensitive data and they may just be sending it out all over the place without really thinking about the ramifications. That's what we refer to as accidental insiders. And those are people who, because they don't really understand the true gravitas of, of the online world and, and the concept of cyber risk, that their actions accidentally expose the organization to increased cyber risk. Could you share perhaps one of the bigger cybersecurity breaches that you have personally helped a client or maybe even one of the companies where you worked prior to going out on your own to manage and mitigate? One of the ones which always sticks in my mind, and this is giving a good example of an accidental cybersecurity incident, was I was a financial institution where I used to work, and one of the developers who was working on the new online banking system wanted to have the ability to work on that code from home. And at the time, there was no remote access for any of the developers. They had to be in the office to do their work, and he would work long hours, and he wanted to be at home, and rightly so. And Rather than providing him with remote access, what happened was that he uploaded the entire source code to Dropbox. So now all of a sudden, you had very, very sensitive data uploaded to a site like Dropbox. And here in BC, you know, we have fairly strict privacy regulations and you know, something like that. We would draw the ire of our provincial privacy commissioner. All of a sudden, when we discovered that, we're like, oh, no, this is a significantly bad issue. <laughs> so we had to go through a whole gauntlet of making sure that the data hadn't been improperly accessed, that, that it was properly removed from Dropbox, ended up just being like a, a privacy and data security nightmare. But the, I think the, the key thing in all of that, though, was that how IT and by extension, the cybersecurity team, it was their fault that this happened. You know, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, this, the developer should have known better. Well, if IT and security had listened to the business needs of the organization and actually seen that this was a legitimate use case, we should have been providing him remote access long ago. And that's something which I always remind our clients of is that while it's certainly easy to wag the finger at an employee if they made a misstep, what's super important is that when these accidental insider threats happen or manifest, you need to do a thorough lessons learned. What's the true root cause? Because often the action of the employee is a symptom of a larger systemic problem which needs to be solved. Well, speaking of systemic problems, what would you say is one of the biggest mistakes that average people like me are making 
Uh, I hope not on a daily basis, but it may well be with respect to cybersecurity or <laughs> or lack thereof. And what could I and our listeners do right now to better protect ourselves? The thing I always drum right now is to make use of what's referred to as two-factor or multi-factor authentication for any of your online tools and platforms that you use, whether that be your web-based email like Office 365 or Gmail, for your social media accounts, for LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, turn on multi-factor authentication. So in a nutshell, what that is, is it's your username and password, and then it's t- uh, you also get tied an extra form of authentication, which could be, could be a code that sends a one-time pin to your email or to your text message. It could be tied to something which is called an authenticator app. Those are available with Google or Microsoft or other organizations. Why this is so important is that the username and password model is broken, right? Passwords, unfortunately, are a terrible way of of securing things. It's a paradigm which came out in in the 50s in terms of IT systems, and it's been broken probably since the mid-90s, but here we are all these years later, and we still are heavily reliant on them. Multi-factor authentication really helps to, to really properly secure your accounts because if your password gets compromised, someone would still need physical access to your device, your smartphone as an example, in order to gain access to those applications. So all these applications make multi-factor authentication accessible, and configurable, very easy and straightforward to do, but unfortunately they're not on by default. So I always tell people for your email and your social media accounts, turn on multi-factor authentication. Probably one of the single most effective things you can do right now from a risk reduction perspective. I am going to do that as soon as I get off <laughs> this interview. <laughs> I promise you, Dominic. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.